You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you're able this morning, will you stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to to Christ. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you for these words, this warning given to us by Paul to watch out because the world is going to try to win us with its ways. And so, Lord, today, um, I pray that that, that our congregation um, would do nothing more than to simply receive this warning and act accordingly. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's relevant today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we're going to um, do things a, a little differently. We're actually going to work through this text backwards today. And so we're going to start with verse 8, and then we'll backtrack up to verses 6 and 7. So let me remind you one more time what verse 8 says to us. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This is a relevant text 2,000 years after it was written. But before we get into how this really applies to us today, let's first back up in into um, the the context for the Colossians. And so this church was established um, when a guy named Epaphras had heard the gospel from Paul, and then he was uh, was commanded to take that message of good news um, back to his people. And the people received that gospel, and they were born again just like Epaphras was upon hearing the message of the gospel. And thus, the Colossian church was born And perhaps this is something that only takes place 2,000 years ago, but maybe I'm just a a smidge wrong on this. But but here's something that that I noticed based on the context of this letter at large. People mess things up. People have a tendency to mess things up. Why? I believe it's because this message of the gospel that was given to Epaphras and which he gave to his people seems way too good to be true on the front end at first glance. That's what it seems like. This message of the gospel, a salvation by faith alone, a relationship that is personal and intimate with the living God, that seems too good to be true unless we toss something in there that gives us something to do in the matter. But we know that the gospel doesn't work that way. The gospel is not earned by us. Salvation is not achieved by our merits. And so what happens whenever this message, this, this pure and, and, and wonderful gospel is received, uh, sinful humanity has a tendency to try to, to tack things on or make amendments where it gives us a more active and central role in how we can save ourselves. 
And that's what took place in the first century. And I need to warn you this morning, those types of things are still taking place today. People mess things up because we long to have a central role in the most important story in our lives. But when we make those amendments, when we adjust the gospel to be more self-centric and dependent on our works, here's what that does. That is the equivalent of making a, a big time promise, like being able to make restaurant quality apple pies in the comfort of your own kitchen. Those promises are going to come up short each and every time. Such is the way of any worldly way. Verse eight gives us uh, a great warning. Um, but first, let's talk a little bit about um, what it is that, that the Colossians might have been um, presented with um, from, uh, from the world. Um, people way smarter than me have gone back and forth on this sort of thing. And, and, they've, and they've talked about a, a plethora of different ideologies, a plethora of different um, religious add-ons. Uh, we're talking things like maybe uh, like some mysticism kind of stuff, some Jewish legalism. We've even got, uh, Paul mentions later in chapter two, he even talks about the worship of angels. Those types of things were going on in first century Colossae, and those were a huge problem because they were all in competition with the gospel of Jesus. Now, some of you may be sitting in here this morning and saying, whoo, wow, might as well check out because, you know, I've never even been tempted to worship an angel, not even once. I don't even know what mysticism really means, and so I must not be doing that, so I must be good my warning to you is to pay close attention to what Paul is saying to a 2,000-year-old audience because though we may not be um, wound or wooed or won over by the, same, the exact same things, here's the deal. Um, the ways of the world are still out there in full force and they want nothing more than to take you captive so that you will not accomplish the purpose in which God has created you to accomplish, which in the, uh, in, the, in the purest form is to receive his grace and to bring him glory with your life. And so let's talk about this command in verse 8, this warning. Uh, Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive. No one takes you captive. Let's talk about that word. Um, now, I'm no Greek scholar myself, but, but I did do uh, some study on this word, and, and usually in first century context, the Greek word for captive usually involved something um, similar to like the plundering of a ship or a robbery of some sort. And so as we think about that in context, uh, we know that, that that kind of stuff has the potential to take place 2,000 years later. It may not be with a ship, but it may be with something else. In fact, uh, KY3 they do a study, or a, a story rather, um, called On Your Side, a little segment um, where Ashley Reynolds hops on there and, and she tells you about dangers that are taking place in public life, um, things that are, that are trying to like swindle you out of your money, um, things that like, like uh, email scams, phone scams. Um, sometimes people pretend on the phone to be the IRS and tell you that you've got all this unpaid tax money and they need your credit card right away. Um, so this segment helps people uh, who might be vulnerable to these kind of attacks know what they are in order to avoid um, having, our, having our money taken from us. And I need you to know um, that, that this is not an exact parallel between Ashley Reynolds and KY3's On Your Side um, with what the Apostle Paul is telling us because what Paul is telling us is similar 
corner in a sense. He is on our side. He is letting us know what is out there that is trying to trip us up in our faith. But spiritually speaking, this is something so much more important with so much stronger implications than just missing out on a few bucks. Paul is not saying that the world is out to win you over and take your things. The world is out to take you. So let no one take you captive, not just your wallet, not just your identity, not just your email address, but you. This world is after you. And my concern for the people of God this morning is this. We have a tendency to respond to this kind of spiritual plundering with passivity. We are trying to be taken captive as the people of God because the enemy knows that he is not a huge fan of what it is that God wants to accomplish through us. And so he's going to use this broken world to peddle to us less thans. He's going to peddle to us um, ideologies and lifestyles and worldviews that seem compelling at first glance, but are ultimately going to serve up an applesauce sandwich. And far too often, church, we are not doing a whole lot about it. That needs to change. I've seen this in myself and I've seen it in others. Sometimes we fight way harder to get a refund from Amazon than we do when somebody's trying to trip us up in our walk with Jesus. We can't do that anymore. That way we are not only disobeying the scripture, but we are also saying that our refund is more important than walking closely with Jesus and I don't think if I asked you or you asked me if that's actually true, I don't think that we would say that that's true. Yet our lifestyle sometimes reflects the opposite. So we must not approach spiritual plundering with passivity, but instead we must counter with an active and living faith in Jesus. He is our only hope. And we know these things. We know these things. And we also recognize the fact that Jesus is best. We recognize the fact that, that he is the only one who can save, yet when our lifestyle falls short of that, uh, we are communicating to ourselves and a lost world that Jesus isn't really as powerful as he says he is. But the reality is, is he's our only hope. And so in light of this warning, do not be taken captive by things, as Paul puts it, that are of human tradition, that are most importantly not according to Christ. How is it that we fight against these advances that the world is trying to make in our lives? How do we ensure that we will not be taken captive by these empty and hollow and worthless man-made ideals none of which are according to Christ. Well, we can look back at the two verses preceding verse 8. We can look at verses 6 and 7 and see that our best defense against, a, uh, against a, a world that wants to take us captive is a grounded and growing and grateful faith. Paul writes in verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I will be honest with you this morning. I have labored 
I have toiled, I have struggled, and I would even go as far to say that I suffered this week trying to come up with some unique and creative and engaging and exciting way to tell you to walk in Jesus. And I think far too often, we, we pastors feel that obligation, we feel that pressure on us. I mean, think about, uh, think about Pastor Jeremy having to stand in this pulpit and preach to his, his people every single week. Um, that obligation is, is, is not of the Lord, but we often feel like we have to present truth to you in a new, exciting, engaging, dare I say, entertaining way. And I will be honest with you, I sinfully wrestled with that this week. But just because the truth is exactly as it's always been doesn't mean that we have to doll it up. The world is trying to win us with its worthless ways. And the answer to the problem is to walk in Christ. You don't need that dolled up, do you? Walk in Christ. That's the answer, even if you've heard it before, because the truth has and will never change. And so the next time that somebody um, comes up to you and says, hey, I'm really, really struggling with X, Y, and Z, the answer may be the same as it was last time, but that just means that it was true last time and it's true this time. And so the answer still is walk in him not just know who he is, not just have a copy of your Bible sitting in your living room. Walk in him. And I'll tell you what, I, I, uh, I struggle with flexibility. I, watch this. I can't, even, I can't even touch my toes. I struggle with flexibility, and I think about this quite often. And a lot of times I will, uh, I will, I will think, you know, I need to do something about this. I need to get more flexible, and I know that's going to take some work. I know that I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to stretch a lot more. I'm, I'm going to have to go from zero to something. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to work on this. Well, every time I try to get better at being flexible, I realize how far I have to go. I realize how far I have to go, and I'll be honest with you, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It seems like it's too much. And so instead of having to spend those weeks and months and years trying and trying and trying and hurting and hurting and hurting, instead, I will just stay right where I'm at. And church, we are doing that with our spiritual lives far too often. And that has got to stop. Listen to how clear these instructions to people of God are. Therefore, as you received Christ, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I love, the, uh, I love the encouragement that Pastor Jeremy gave us as a point of application not too long ago. Uh, when he was talking about, he was talking about reading scripture specifically, and he said, he said if, you, if you read no scripture yesterday, start with one verse. Start with one verse. Do something to, to, to get closer to Jesus. Do something to submit to his lordship a little more today than you did yesterday. That's good advice. And we recognize the fact that if we stick with it and we continue down that road walking with Jesus, eventually all these things that the world is trying to peddle to us as the real thing will become far less appealing. They will. We just have to keep walking with Jesus. What was that word? Walk. Paul didn't say sprint. Paul didn't say get it all figured out in one fell swoop. He said walk. That implies consistency. That implies slowness. That implies steadiness. 
We can do that, but we have to make the choice to do so, not just day by day, but moment by moment. Perhaps something we ought to consider moving forward is before those feet hit the floor in the morning in a literal sense so we can walk with Jesus, it might be beneficial for us to pray the last two verses of Psalm 139 before we even start our day. It says this, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. You've probably heard this before. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. See, sinners like you and sinners like me, we've got a tendency of wandering into a very spiritually vulnerable place each and every day. And I'm thankful that Paul doesn't just say, walk with Jesus. That's like the friend when you have a spiritual issue and you tell him or her your spiritual issue and they say, well, all you need to do is be better at following Jesus. And you think, well, how? Well, how? Give, me, give, me some, give me something. Give me some practical something to help me out. Thankfully, Paul does that for us in verses 6 and 7. He doesn't just say walk in him. He says, here's how. Here are things you can do. First, stay grounded. He talks about being rooted. This is an agricultural metaphor. And I know that I'm not the kind of guy that would stand up here and talk to you about tractors and J-rooted Christmas trees like some other pastors on our staff, but I do know how roots work. I know how they work. They serve as a foundation, a source of nourishment for what's growing above. That's what roots are for. That's how they work. They're an infrastructure system. And so when Paul tells us to be rooted, he's telling us to hold fast to the firm foundation that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He says, keep growing. He talks about um, being built up on that foundation. Now, Paul goes from an agricultural metaphor to another area that I have absolutely no expertise in, construction. I don't know anything about that. But I do know what a building is, and I do know what the verb to build means, okay? Um, so if your faith is rooted in Christ, Paul's instructions for you is to build on that. This is where spiritual disciplines come into play. They're so vital for a fortified faith. Read that Bible. Spend time in prayer with the Lord, not just talking to him, but listening to him. Join that small group. Lead that life group. If you've been a regular attender of this church for who knows how long and you haven't actually plugged in to this community of believers, uh, you can do that. At the end of this service, you can come tell somebody, I am ready to join the family of Ridgecrest in an official sense. Take those steps and watch how strong your faith will become. So when those attacks come, not if, when those attacks come, you will be ready. And lastly, Paul says, stay grateful. He says, abounding in thanksgiving. And that one, to be honest with you, seems like a huge afterthought. These ones are, are, are strong. We got rooted and built up. And then thanksgiving, that sounds like he just kind of tacked that in there just uh, because the thought seemed somewhat incomplete. But I will tell you that gratitude is the linchpin to a strong faith. But how can gratitude possibly play a role in an active fight against uh, the, the world's desire to win us over with its ways? Here's the thing. When we're grateful, we're satisfied. When we're grateful, we're satisfied. And when we're satisfied, we're not longing for the greener grass that might exist elsewhere. 
I love what John Piper has famously said and written over the years. He says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Thanksgiving matters big time in this discussion. We're, we're, we, we won't wait long for, uh, we won't want those spiritual applesauce sandwiches if we're constantly feasting on the real thing. We'll never be tempted to head that direction. Listen, I've never been eating a concrete from Andy's frozen custard longing for a freezer pop. <laughs> Why? Because the real thing far outdoes any cheap imitation, period. And so in light of those very simple instructions and a very staunch warning, how ought we to respond? And here in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, but even before we, we have a time of invitation, I've got to tell you, I have, I have thought um, about an important question um, that, that's at the, at the heart of this entire matter um, for, for the better part of a few weeks here. Why? The question is, why? Why is there this tension between following Jesus and being won by the ways of the world? This is a, based on the fact that this is an ancient letter, this has been an issue that far transcends time and it far transcends culture. Is an issue then and it's an issue now. What is the deal. We lack faith. We, we, we lack faith. That was the answer for the Colossian church. That's the answer for the American church 2,000 years later. We lack faith. We are not as trusting in Christ as we need to be. And if we're honest, there lies a little bit of skepticism in our hearts about how trustworthy Christ is really. But church, in order to deny what's false, on a daily basis, we have to have the utmost confidence in what is true. Every single night, I tell my son Grayson to uh, get his clothes ready for the next day. And I tell him, you need, uh, you need a few things to get your outfit ready for tomorrow. You need a shirt. You need pants. You need undies. And you need socks. All right? And every single night when he tells me he's accomplished that task, I ask him, your shirt clean? Yes. Your pants clean? Yes. Your undies clean? Yes. Your socks clean? He hesitates. And in that moment, I have a healthy level of skepticism that he may not be telling me the truth. And we're about 60% of the time right now where he's actually being truthful. Let me tell you something about Christ and his word. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God's track record of faithfulness, not only now, but in eternity's past and eternity to come, he will always be 100% truthful, 100% faithful. And that is not just because he is always going to tell the truth, but the Bible tells us that Jesus himself is the truth. He has more than proven that he is worthy of our trust. And so in light of this conversation where the world is going to continuously peddle you uh, imitation after imitation, telling you it's as good or better as the real thing, what are we going to do to fight against it? Some of us maybe ought to spend the next few moments as we have a time of response asking God to help us have that fuller faith that we may have been lacking for a long time. But I will tell you this, in a room this size, I want to draw your attention back to the beginning of verse 6. 
Paul writes, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Perhaps some of you have not done that yet. I have good reason to believe in a room this size with this many wonderful people. There may be some folks here today that have not yet applied that section of verse 6 to their lives. Paul wrote this letter to a church, a group of people who profess Christ as Lord. But you may be here today and you have not yet received God's grace. And my encouragement to you is today is your day. No matter where you are, whether you're in the balcony or the front row, you today can receive eternal life, be born again, have a hope that will never run out in Jesus. In fact, Paul gets, uh, gets to the gospel later in this chapter, and he says this in verse 13. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Unless you've received God's grace by placing your faith in him, your sin debt still remains on your shoulders and the world is winning your heart. And so if you do not have Jesus this morning, if you have not yet professed him as Lord, my encouragement and my challenge to you is to do something about it. We're gonna have pastors down here in just a moment that will be more than happy to have a conversation with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But for the rest of us who have already professed him as Lord, we have been given the command to walk in him. And so in your life specifically, you know which ways your walk is weak. And so as we pray uh, and as we respond, my hope for you is that you would simply do what God is leading you to do. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.